Rusty Quill presents. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the West Side Fairy Tales Horror and Lit Club. This for March 2021. We're a third of the way, or a quarter, a quarter of the way, a fourth of the way through 2021 already. How, how weird is it? It doesn't feel like 2020 is over. 2021 is, is uh, 25% underway. I have uh, very much the news of the time. I just got my the first shot of my Moderna vaccine today. Me and my wife both got ours. Had to go travel throughout the wilds of Louisville. We get ours through, uh, well, basically through Kroger. So if you guys don't know what Kroger is because you're not, um, I don't know, American or from the right part of America, it's just a uh, national food market chain. It's, it's pretty common. Uh, there's, it's, the, it's the equivalent of something like Food Line or Piggly Wiggly or Albertsons or whatever the hell you Canadians and, and UK and Australia people have. It's probably something with a really goofy name like How's a What's-It's. Every... I grew up. Uh, I grew up with Kroger because Kroger is actually headquartered in Cincinnati, where I'm from, and so it's got the most basic name. It's it's Kroger, which is a last name in Cincinnati. So, the the like any sort of food mart that's just not named with just some basic super local last name is like very very exotic to me. Piggly Wiggly. I was like, what in the hell? Who goes and buys a fucking? Who goes and buys like a, a box of cereal from a Piggly Wiggly? How weird is that? Food Lion. What do you, what do you get it fancy? You get fancier cheeses there at the Food Lion. Blah. I go to Kroger. <laughs> you can make minimum wage at Kroger. But we went out there and got the uh, Moderna vaccine, which in a roundabout way let me explore parts of Louisville that I would I would never normally go to for any reason, just different suburban communities. You know, Kroger's are never really located in the the uh, at the heart of a of a entertainment district. They're not really next to museums and the like. So you really do get to see more of the city when you go to Kroger. And I discovered that despite my belief that I lived in a pretty nice part of Louisville, even the parts that are supposed to be worse than mine are are better. And they have nicer Kroger's, <laughs> which, which was really disappointing. And I didn't expect to be disappointed by it retroactively that my, my Kroger is so bad. Like I cook a lot. And so I like access to different ingredients. I mean, that's not like a revelation or anything. But these other Kroger's, man, they have like spice racks that are like five or six of those little aisle sections long. The one, the one in my Kroger is only like two sections long, and it's frequently out of basic things, like cumin. The trip was, it was, it was interesting, though. I had one of those moments where, uh, like, I, I have to keep slapping myself to keep from writing stories. Just, like, focus on one book at a time, Tyler. The things I got going in my head right now, I'm, I'm running at least like five different storylines, trying to get them figured out before I start typing them out. I've got the one that I'm typing out that I promised myself I would wait until like April or June to start working on. I'm already, I'm already neck deep in it. And uh, while I'm checking out of this place, because I, I went to, you know, 
get the shot, but also it's such a nice Kroger that I went shopping anyway. Got all kinds of stuff. It's always nice going to an exotic food locale like West fucking Louisville so that I can get nicer onions or whatever. But I go over there and uh, while I'm checking out, you know, doing the self-checkout thing, I feel something tap my shoe. And I look down and there's a nickel, a fresh like 2020 nickel, which is a five cent piece, uh, 5% of a dollar if you're from outside of America. It is, you know, like a tiny, like a thumb-sized, less than a thumb-sized coin. And I look around and I'm like, there's no one near me except for one guy. And I was like, hey, man, did you drop a nickel? And he didn't. So like, you know, my brain being what it was, I just racked my fucking mind for like the whole drive back. Like, where the hell did this goddamn nickel come from? And I eventually, I got it out of my pocket and hopefully I'll, I'll forget about it to some degree. But, you know, if you just pay enough attention to the podcast going forward, eventually you'll see, oh, there's this Tyler fucking writing a character where a nickel hits them in the foot and they go on some sort of wild ridiculous journey into the heart of horror trying to solve the mystery of this fucking nickel i digress in any case i have just been i've just been you know bogged down i think i've been saying that for like two years now so i don't know why i keep saying it i apologize Uh, i think i'm going to be permanently changing the format of the hlc i know people really like the recommendations but i don't have time to read anymore. I I literally don't. And I know it sucks because I'm actually like, that's one of my favorite hobbies, but I have to have a lot of time to focus on it. And I just can't. So I can't like read a book between every episode. Like I used to, it was, it used to be simple because first off the episodes were half an hour to 45 minutes long total. And you know, some of them were stories that were spread out over multiple episodes now I'm putting out two 50-minute episodes with, you know, all the, all the bells and whistles a month and having to, to write a similar amount for the next year's thing. And so I'm, I'm, I'm just doubling up on all this work. And the muscle that enjoys a book is the same muscle that writes it. And so, like, if I, if I write and then I end up reading, I'm just kind of, like, emotionally exhausted to try to get into a whole nother fictional universe. And I also have this thing about cross-pollination where I don't like reading too much while I'm writing something because then the other person's work affects mine to a degree. Not like I'm stealing anything or anything like that, but more like, uh, I don't know. It, it's kind of like trying to cook one sort of food in, in the same kitchen as another completely different type of food. You know, the smells can get intermixed and it can throw the taste off. Yeah, I just, I don't have, I don't have time to get that together. And I I really respect people that are book reviewers now because like it must be, that that would be impressive to just constantly be reading these books. But I think I've mentioned this before. I think that's what's wrong with a lot of these uh, reviews, these reviews that people do where it's like, man, bit long, you know, like, uh, hmm, suspicious, suspect, I suspect that maybe uh, reading 10 books a week is probably overloading you a touch. And, you know, it, I, it sucks because I feel like I'm letting you guys down, not reading a book and telling you to read it <laughs> or not read it. Um, but, you know, I, I just I can't keep it up. And, and the thing is, you know, I don't have a warm embrace to every book that I read. I'm not a uh, 
a non-critical reader. I, I tear shit to pieces while I'm watching it, while I'm reading it. And if it's not up to snuff to me, I, I, I won't fucking talk about it. You know what I mean? Like, I, I won't recommend it. That is to say, I, I will talk about it. We will be talking about uh, quite literally the worst horror movie I've ever seen in my life today. Uh, it's called The Darkness, but I'll, I'll get to that in a second. Uh, the point is, um, in addition to just even trying to read books to find ones to recommend, because, you know, when I started off the podcast, I had a lifetime of favorite books. And most of the ones that I listed are things that are in my top 10, you know, or top 50 books of all time. It was easy to talk to the one about the ones I loved the most or that, you know, were, were really striking to me. But then I got to a point where I was just kind of like forcing myself to read through things and hoping they were good. And like a lot of the books that come out, you know, they're not, they're not good. I'm sorry. Your, your, your local reviewer might be lying to you. It's, it's weird. It, it exists in the literary world. Unlike any other world I've seen where there are very few, and honestly, please point me to one. If you, uh, if you are into book criticism, specifically like, not literary criticism. I have no interest in it. I did it in college. It's boring to me. I, I, don't, I don't feel like reading a goddamn eight-page paper on somebody's suppositions of what somebody was thinking in 1956 when they wrote a book about blowjobs. I'm good on that shit. I mean, actual just reviews. Point me to a good book reviewer, and uh, I, I would like to read that. A lot of the ones, especially these horror book reviewers, man, they are soft on trash, and I mean absolute garbage. <laughs> I won't name the titles necessarily, although if you follow, if you join the Patreon and stuff like that, and you get to hear the behind-the-story stuff, it's kind of behind the paywall where I, I don't have to worry about it just shooting out into the, into the mainstream consciousness and being picked over and poured over. And, hey, did you hear Tyler fucking hates this thing? Um, but, you know, if you do and you're on the Patreon, I could give a shit less. But Join the Patreon, patreon.com slash westsidefairytales if you want to know more about stuff, especially in the behind-the-story episodes, which are also changing format to become a little bit more like this, but a little bit also closer to me. They, uh, yeah, I, I, talk, I talk at length about stuff like that. But really, these, these reviewers, they're just uh, kid gloves. They're kid gloves about everything. And you can really see it. And, you know, I say it all the time with Stephen King. I, I feel like it's easiest to say about him because... If, if word got back to old Stephen King that I didn't think that Revival was all that good, I, I think he would, at worst, shed one tear and wipe it away with half a billion dollars. And, you know, that, that's on him. But it, it goes for, you know, smaller artists, too. And, and I can understand the temptation, I guess you would say, to give somebody a second chance by saying that a, a bad book is better than it is. But... I can't do it. I, I cannot. I cannot recommend things I don't like. I, I just it hurts. It get it makes me sick. I think that explains things. Going forward, I'm going to be more talking about stuff that I've I've experienced recently, especially things that help me that I like that help me relax, which I think is even better. You know, I I, I think sometimes now that I've like kind of gotten into it, that people put a big focus also on you know, in the opposite way, instead of just being critical about something, uh, being overly expectant that something be high art 
or of exceptional craftsmanship instead of just fun or engaging. You know, sometimes you do need to let your brain get massaged and, you know, hey, for, for the purposes of this, I feel like that's fine. But also I still do stand by be more critical. You know, if, if you like something because it's trash, like it. But admit that it's trash. You know, I, I've been watching a lot of anime and it's not all good. Some of it's been some of the worst shit I've ever seen in my life, but I enjoy it because it's trash, I feel like, you know, and that, that's fine. But I'm not going to go around recommending it or worse, actively telling people it's good <laughs> when it's not because I, I feel like that does more damage than good overall. So as the horror and lit club continues, I might be reading again at some point. But unfortunately, these words aren't going to write themselves, and I just don't have the time. It's horrible. I guess that's the uh, trade-off. You trade one of your favorite hobbies to partake, partake in it in a different direction. I guess it would be along the lines of giving up watching baseball to play baseball, which I think is fine, ultimately. I've read more books in 30 years before I started this podcast than most people read in their lives. <laughs> <laughs> and that's not an idle thing to say. I, I, I just, I read literally a book per day when I was in high school, maybe a book per every two or three days. It was, it was such a problem that I frequently got sent to detention for reading. At, at which point I would read unless they sent a letter down that said I had to do schoolwork instead of reading. And then I would just not obey that detention person. And then I would get like suspended. And then I would read during the suspension. And, you know, they didn't know what the fuck they were talking about because here I am and there they are. of uh, completely forgotten disciplinarians lost to the sands of time and the chains of fate. But let me get into the things I want to talk about today. The first of which is, uh, like I said, the worst horror film I've ever seen. And don't get excited. Uh, I know when I say that because I, I am part of the horror, uh, movie horror genre family as well as just the written horror when, when somebody says it's the worst blah 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 i've ever seen you think in the back of your mind man maybe i will get drunk and enjoy this no this movie is boring and uh pointless and odd and it is called the darkness uh, the, 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 you know, back of book is that it's a 2016 American supernatural horror film directed by Greg McLean and co-written by him, Shane Armstrong and Shane Krause. Shane Krause's name is mildly familiar to me, although, you know, Wikipedia doesn't give him a click through. So God only knows where he's from. The, the reason I think a lot of people saw the movie is because it does star. Kevin Bacon, who is, I'll say it, he's the fucking man. He's a cool guy. And, and Radha Mitchell, yet again, who is becoming, I'm becoming mildly obsessed with Radha Mitchell. If you listen to, it was either the last uh, episode of the Horror and Lid Club or the one before that, I keep running in to Radha Mitchell. R-A-D-H-A Mitchell, M-I-T-C-H-E-L-L, who is a, like, Almost completely unknown, but like kind of relatively familiar actress. She's she's a, 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 a that gal instead of that guy. Do you say that guy or that gal, that girl? She's a that girl type actress. That woman, 
There's no nice way to say it. That guy kind of comes off. That gal sounds like I'm in, I don't know, getting ready to down talk some woman in the 1950s. That girl is a bit diminutive. And that woman sounds like I'm also getting upset at somebody. <laughs> but she's a, she's, looks the same in every film. Not like her face is like different, but she's always blonde, a mildly you know, comfortable conservative haircut, either like a shoulder length cut like kind of in her or her late 2000s roles and then like evolving into like this ponytail sort of cut going forward to the point her head always looks exactly the same i don't know this is sounds like i mean i sound insane i get it but every time i see her it's like rada mitchell just walked into another movie where yet again she has to play somebody's wife she's always Always somebody's wife, with one notable exception of the movies I've seen, which is Silent Hill, in which she plays Sybil Bennett, the police officer from the adjoining town of, I can't remember. I think it's like Keynes is the next town over. I, I cannot remember for the life of me. But she's in, she's in The Crazies. She plays the main character's wife. She's in Frozen Ground. She plays the main character's wife. And here, in the darkness, she plays the main character's wife again. And, and she's also kind of got a type to a degree, especially for these later roles where I guess she kind of was just like, eh, I don't think I'm ever going to be like, I'm never going to be like a main star, but I can be like the guy's wife character actress. She, she's kind of like a real aggressive, kind of, kind of a very grounded arguer. Like if I'm trying to figure out her type of what, what they're typecasting her as, she is a slightly tired, still very good-looking, still youngish, mid-30s woman who stands your ground and will argue with you. Like, that's her type. Like, they're like, oh, we need that specifically. We call up Rod and Mitchell. And I feel like she can do more than that. And she kind of just got, like, pigeonholed and probably doesn't care anymore. She probably actually just does have kids in real life. And like, hey, fuck it. You know, I'm married. I want to pick up an extra... Forty, fifty thousand dollars a year, and just you know, every year, somebody at Blumhouse or some other, some other, you know, indie horror production company needs a uh, pretty attractive, still moderately young-looking blonde woman that stands her ground in an argument. I don't know if it has anything to do with anything, and honestly, her looks are completely inconsequential to this. But Rada Mitchell is. Uh, a conundrum in my mind that I need to solve. And I want to watch more of her stuff because I want to know if she's really as good of an actress as I, I personally believe she is. Even in, even in the darkness, which I will get into talking about, it is, it is so boring, I swear to God. This is more interesting. My Rada Mitchell conspiracy theories are much more interesting than the movie. In the movie, she's, she's definitely a standout as the most awake actor in it. Kevin Bacon plays her husband, who is the main character. I mean, I guess he has to be. He's Kevin Bacon. He's, what, like 60 years old now? I think uh, Mitchell is probably 40. I, I'm, I'm not going to bother looking up their ages, but Kevin Bacon's been around since the fucking 80s, and I think uh, Mitchell started getting her work in, like, you know, the mid-2000s. But the story follows those two. They have a son named Mikey, who is, man, in the biggest quotes, 
and like I'm like a lot of side eye. He is autistic. They have a daughter named Stephanie who's anorexic, and the story starts off with them going to the Grand Canyon, or yeah, yeah, they're going to the Grand Canyon in Arizona, and having a little vacation, right? It is the dumbest introduction. It takes like 15 minutes for them to get through it. Uh, Little Mikey goes underground. By the way, spoilers, there is no twists in this movie. There isn't a single twist in this film that you will not see coming. (laughs) And anything that gets set up that you think is going to happen just won't. The film is, is incredible in that I continuously think they are going to do something interesting, and every time they just don't. They just don't. They just they just give up on whole plot threads and interesting things. The autistic son is just some kid. He's a kid actor. I, I think he he has like uh, I I don't know how to describe this without sounding like an asshole. I'm gonna do my best, but I, I've 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 been around a lot of autistic kids. And they have a sort of cast to their eyes when they're not looking at people that is very much like its own sort of thing. It's hard for me to describe, but it's an affect to their expression, you know, if they're, if they're dissociating from other people. And I've seen other people dissociate. It's kind of like, you know, a child's version of like a thousand yard stare, but they're just not interested in the world. This kid is clearly just looking at something off screen and just trying to pay attention to it because they told him like, Okay, autistic kids don't pay attention to stuff. They don't look at people. They just kind of stare off into the distance. So this kid is just kind of happily, like, looking. And it's, it's so distracting because he's, he's clearly just looking at stuff off screen that is part of the production, you know what I mean? So maybe it's just me, but I can, like, see him looking at like the the camera stands or like watching people walk around in the background. I, I might be reading into it, but every time the kid's doing one of those where it's supposed to be like, and they, they fucking, they go after this kid, the whole film. There's a lot of screaming and shaking him. Not too much. It, it's, it's not like child abuse level trigger warning or anything, but there's a bunch of, you know, they get into his face. Don't, Mikey, don't do that. Don't go over there. Oh, God, why are you making me so nervous? Blah, 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 blah. That stuff. And you can tell he's just sort of like trying not to laugh because he, he, he struck up a relationship, a working relationship with Rada Mitchell and Kevin Bacon. They've probably came up to him like, hey, are you the kid? Is this your first movie, your second movie? He's like, yeah, yeah, I did this. I did this. I did a couple commercials. It's nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. I'm going to be doing this in the scene with you, and I'm going to shake you, and I'm going to yell at you, but I just want you to know I'm not mad at you. And he's like, okay, yeah, I've done this before. And they're like, okay. And so she's acting, and this kid's just like, this lady was so nice, and now she's shaking me. I'm trying not to laugh. I'm looking at, I'm looking at the assistant director who's just waving at me and being like, keep your eyes on me. It's, that is the base level of fun you'll ever have in this, in, in this movie. This kid falls through a fucking hole in the Grand Canyon. He falls through a hole into a subterranean cavern and finds rocks set up on a fucking ancient altar to some gods of, of, of a d- deceased Native American clan who lived there. I think it's in... Oh, 
Oh, there goes my scooter kids. We got scooter kids in the neighborhood. So the, <laughs> I feel like this is a Bill Burr thing. Naya, could you shut up? Shut up that dog. He, he goes and falls in this hole. And the hole has these rocks to these, these Native American gods who are, are suggested to be the Anasazi, I suppose. I, like almost all white people in America, don't know anything about the Anasazi. Um, I, like most horror people, know that the Anasazi are like the go-to tribe when white people want to be like, hey, creepy Native Americans, right? Anasazi out there in the out there in the desert. Maybe they ate people. I don't know. I, I, I get everything that I've ever learned about their tribe and their culture from, uh, from old GeoCities websites in the early 2000s. They're tangentially con- connected to like aliens and stuff. And I think the coolest thing about the Anasazi that I know, and I'm pretty sure this is right, is that they made really dope uh, carved cities into the sides of like mesas and stuff although that 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 that, that could be the navajo like i said i'm i'm an ignorant fucking white guy and i i don't even know i don't even know place one where to uh look up <laughs> where to look up the information about this i'm sorry i'm laughing I, I can't do anything about it i'll just have to stop recording there are there there are these kids in my neighborhood right god bless them i don't know if they're i don't know if they're all there they've got vacant eyes when you look at them they're in there. They're, they're somewhere in the, 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 the ripe age of 19 to 23. And you can't quite tell. And they are all very uh, portly young men. And they ride around on two stroke gasoline scooters that do not. And I, I really repeat, do not have the horsepower to move the physicalities that are atop them at the speeds that these kids require. And so those engines just scream up and down, up and down the street all day. I wish I could find a different time to record. I can't. So if you hear that fart noise in the background, that's them. God bless their hearts. But uh, <laughs> you can't do anything about it. It's just going to sound like a, uh, like, a, like a motorcycle going up and down the street constantly. It's the scooter kids. Don't, I, I, if you have scooter kids at home, tell me about them. Tell me about your scooter kids. What do they do? What do they ride? Uh, they ride skateboards and do kickflips over the roots of your car, or the roots of your car, the roots of your tree on the sidewalk outside by your car, make you nervous about your paint job. I digress. Uh, so the, the, there's, he, he steals from Native Americans, you know, which is like uh, it's about the, the the third most cliched plot for a horror anything that you can do. That that's actually it's so weird that that is what they chose for this because it's so old that I guess it's come back again. I remember when I was a kid, stealing from Native Americans was like everywhere. It was a constant thing. I think it's in like four Tales from the Crypt episodes. It was in like half of the little kid books that I read back in the day. I think it was a few episodes of Are You Afraid in the Dark? It's just like if you find in their Native American stuff, you know, artifacts and all that, don't don't touch them. <laughs> or leave them, leave them alone. That's especially prevalent, actually, uh, where I'm from. In Cincinnati, we have something called the Serpentine Mound. I, I cannot remember. Was, was it the Ohio Indians? Lakota. I think it was Lakota because everything's named after Lakota in, uh, in, in Ohio. But we had uh, Native Americans in, in our area, and they have all sort of 
burial mounds and stuff. One of them is called the Serpentine Mound, which is freaking huge. It's a gigantic thing. You can go, you can look at it. You're not supposed to walk on it. People walk on it. And then there's burial mounds throughout the rest. Like one of the parks that I went to had a big burial mound right in the, uh, right in the woods there. And it had little, you know, don't, don't go on the burial mound. Don't disrespect the burial mound. This belongs to the uh, literally, sorry, I cannot pronounce. I cannot remember much less pronounce the very specific name of the people that um, were buried there. So, you know, I'm, I'm used to this and it was especially you know, odd because we would find stuff everywhere. I mean, it's the Ohio River Valley. It's like the the first people that we displaced in America were all up in there. And, you know, it's not uncommon to find flint arrowheads and all sorts of stuff just like in your backyard. So (laughs) everyone was constantly feeling like they were getting cursed because they would find stuff. Sometimes you would find like, you know, I don't know, falsies things that people are, that are fake or, or, or kind of look vaguely native American. Some girls lost turquoise bead bracelet from the eighties that you find. And everyone's like, Oh my God, this is an ancient native American artifact. And then, then you look at it and you're like, these are beads strung together with plastic string. Unless the, uh, I don't think that's them. I don't think, I don't think they made this, but the darkness, the kid takes the things. So he falls into the ground deep, He's underneath a canyon. And uh, the, the scene literally cuts with him just kind of like walking out of the hole and brushing himself off and going back. He, like, he's never even missing, which is insane to me because he's, first off, he's supposed to be like very autistic and like, like debilitatingly so. Uh, not like the worst you could possibly be. And I'm, I'm sorry, I'm stumbling over how to describe this, but. He's supposed to have a, a lot of real insular behavior. He's not very exploratory. He kind of just goes and gets put where people leave him. And like he stays there. And that's kind of why they're okay. You know, like he's like, all right. He, he doesn't wander off except for this time. He wanders off. And there is, <laughs> these scooters are killing me. And there's no reason why he comes outside. Like, how, how the hell did he find his way out? Like, this was a hidden chamber of this religion that's underground. And, but I guess it just has, like, an exit. And the exit is literally next to their cars. So, like, they could have just gone in there, too, from that direction. And he just walks out. And it's never explained. Like, they're never even really that worried. And then it's just like, the darkness. You know, the little, the little title screen comes up. And then from there, it's every Bloomhouse film you've ever seen. You know, just a little this, a little of that. There's some some minor spooks. Was that a shadow? Oh, weird, weird handprints. You know, it's bullshit. I'm pretty sure I haven't seen the advertising for this, but I guarantee you when it came out, it was one of those dumbass things where they show the the actors or the uh <laughs> they show a crowd full of actors in a in a film studio and all their eyes are glowing white and they're all green because it's it's night vision because it's in a dark theater and they're being scared and there's always somebody some some guy like three seats down who's whoa, whoa, leaning all the way back having a fucking heart attack the the movie really does not improve from there it, it's very basic 
nothing nothing happens really. There are stuff that's brought up. The dad is a little mean to the kid because the kid likes to arrange all of his toys on the ground in concentric circles. This is never really brought up again. The girl, his his sister, who by the way I haven't mentioned yet, because she is she could literally be cut out of the movie. There was no point to her other than some fairly inappropriate shower scenes that serve no purpose. Like this girl just gets naked and gets a shower and then gets clothed again. And she's supposed to be like 16. They, they spend more time on her being like naked in the shower and stuff. And you never see her like breasts or anything. She's like no real nudity. And I'm not a, I'm not a nudity snob. I'm just like, if you're going to have a sexuality scene, do one of a few things. First, if you can, make it plot relevant. Just try. You know, it's horror. I, I get it. You know, maybe, maybe you just want a little skin on screen. But even the most mind-numbingly salacious horror movies at least have some sort of tangential connection to the plot like ah she got a shower because she's dirty so now she's naked and when she runs away from this here uh this here uh, serial killer uh, is hard for her because she's not wearing any shoes now <laughs> like okay cool i got it or uh yeah so she was uh, running from this serial killer and she fell down a hill and she got muddy so she gotta get a shower now like we don't even have that <laughs> the sleazy just just tits and blood directors of the 1980s had more sense of how to get a woman naked in a shower than than this the darkness movie which is supposed to be you know comfortable uh family horror movie it, it's just I, I don't care but yeah the second thing you should do is that like like make it sexy which you shouldn't do if it's an under 18 year old person just don't do it um and, and you don't do either of those two things. Make it sexy, make it, make it plot relevant, or, or maybe even three, make it into a good scare, which I guess would kind of make it plot relevant. But there's not even a good scare. It's just, it's, it's nothing. You know, nudity is supposed to be revealing or, or uh, endangering after a fashion. You're supposed to be showing vulnerability or sexuality or something like that. And it's literally just like, I felt weird watching it. Like, why is she, why are we doing this? Like, isn't this supposed to be a kid? Get out of that room. Get the fuck out of that room with that camera. You find out darkest timeline is that girl is actually what's in the back that the kid's staring at when he's being filmed. Ew. I apologize for that. Her only addition to the plot is a... 10 to 15 minute side quest that accomplishes nothing in which we find out that she's bulimic and has been bulimic for a long time and has been hiding it. This is, I think, supposed to be somehow like a, a moment for this girl and maybe even Rada Mitchell to show off their acting chops. These scenes are primarily between those two. Rod Mitchell does a good job as a uh, beleaguered mother of two, you know, difficult children, atypical children, and however you want to call it, who's who's trying to understand, but also is 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 you know fucking up because she's you know not a whole hundred percent prepared for all this. 
the girl, they have her go to a 10 for no reason over all of this. And I mean a flat 10. God bless her. I don't even think it was her decision. I don't think these were her um, actorial <laughs> actorial motives. So the, the scene goes as Rada Mitchell is walking in. Well, actually, we cut back. The girl comes home from somewhere. We don't know where. Ostensibly, it's from school. As I recall, she's wearing a school uniform. She, I think, has a takeout bag with her or something. She goes up to her room, sits on the bed, face back from the camera, and holds open a plastic bag, and then literally with both of her hands available, just goes, blah, and, 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 and makes puke noises into it. And I think there's some, some sound effects added that are gross. And it's, it, it's very jarring. I know, you know, I'm not an expert in eating disorders. My wife who was watching with it, watching this movie with me has a minor actually in, in psychology and is very familiar with this stuff. And we are both very much of the opinion that that is not what normally happens with a bulimic person. Not to say that it can't, but uh, odd, odd decision to puke into the plastic bag and she's also just ready to puke into it. I mean, you know, it's not like it's not a bad thing, but she, she didn't have to, like, you know, activate her gag reflex or anything. She just sat down and just immediately went, bop. And it's, you know, supposed to be sad music. Somehow this transitions, I can't remember exactly how, into Rada Mitchell finding, like, 80 jars of vomit under this girl's bed, which... I immediately recognize as a somebody stole that detail from a real case because that's way too, way too good for this dude to ever come up with on himself. No offense to Greg McLean, who directed the film. I just I don't think you have the writing chops to accomplish that. Well, I guess this was actually written by him, Shane Armstrong and S.P. Krause. I don't think you guys have the writing chops to make up something that's that like kind of kind of a cool detail you know in, in a in a gross way of of th- seeing it that somebody would be hiding this shameful thing but they don't want to get out and and they have a compulsion to keep these jars of vomit underneath their bed that is an awesome detail that is a great detail for a better movie it's 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 so striking because it's really well it really looks good like the set designers just found every jar they could at like three antique and antique and thrift stores and and filled them up with stuff and put like little bags over the top they're like tied up with like rubber bands or string or the jars are shut it's it's gross and it's it's very revealing but it's not it's not well done the reveal is bad first off first off because they're jars, and she was puking into a goddamn plastic bag earlier. So, you know, your, your whole detail is lost. There's no connection besides the fact that she sat on that bed between the bed and the girl and the things that are underneath it. If you would have, like, just, just the basic language of cinema, right? You have this beautiful, she's got a nice, like, girl's room. It's well-kept. White everything. It's all lacy and pink and QQQ. Wonderful, unstained, unblemished. So if you just take the camera and move it away from wherever the fuck they had it 
and kind of show that she's coming in and she doesn't feel good and then like lower it down, you know, and then you see beneath this clean facade of her room and you're going lower and lower and then you see under the bed and there's these disgusting jars and she pulls one open, right? And if you don't want her to do the gag thing for whatever, she pulls one open and just the, the, the disgustingness of it makes her puke into this thing, like her own revulsion. Then you have at least a fucking crumb, a crumb of literary connection between this. That's a good fucking scene. You know how I know? Because I wrote it. <laughs> but then she, you know, she clasps it up and she hides it. And then you pan the camera back up, right? And you lift us back out of that bit of darkness. But now, every time you go back in that room, if you do that early, every time any characters in, in that room, every single person watching that film is going to go, oh my God, what the fuck? When, oh, what if they, what if they find what's underneath that bed? Like, bro, could you imagine like her mom is right there and she's got all that shit underneath that fucking bed. That's disgusting, bro. I hope she doesn't find out. Oh no. Have the moment where mom drops a, a sock from the clean laundry she dumps on her, on her, on her daughter's bed and her daughter just makes way too much of a, way too much of a, 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 a problem of picking up the sock. She's, um, Jumps across the room and says, no, I, I've got it, mom. Get out of my room. Get out of my room. You know, Ronna Mitchell can be like, I, I don't know what to do with you. I'm so sorry. Blah, 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 blah. And then you can see how that secret is negatively affecting her relationship with her mom. And that's what they were trying to do. It's very apparent. But instead, what we get is Ronna Mitchell just finds it just without the girl in the room. And then it has one of those, like, the girl comes in the room and you see it. And then it's just a fucking bloodbath from then on. They are screaming at each other. I think the daughter pushes the mom up against the wall and they're, they're fighting. And Kevin Bacon comes home and he's fighting and blah, 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 blah. And you would think it would be this big thing. And it, it's never gone into again. It's not even brought up coming into the end of the film. The boy with the magic rocks has nothing to do with this. The, the monsters have nothing to do with this. They never use it against her. She never has to confront this aspect of her personality, her secret keeping, her shame, her issues with her body, all of these potential great character moments that we could have. No, nothing. What you get is her and Rod and Mitchell screaming at each other at the top of their lungs in a hallway, there's a momentary visit to a hospital, and then we fucking leave, and we never return. The worst movie I've ever seen. It gets more boring, if, if, that's, a, if that's a good lead-up. The movie continues, and there's uh, dumb scares. The, the big scare that the ghosts do is they'll turn the water on on your faucet when you're not looking. So, so frequently, people are like walking out of a bathroom, and they hear like, and they'll turn around like, oh, somebody did the, I didn't leave the cold water on full blast in the sink. What's going on here? They're never, they're never nervous enough either. Like, it's just like they walk over like, oh, maybe I did leave it on. Plink and turn it back off. I would have been like, what in the fuck? Like, babe, get in here. Get in here. The water just turned on by itself. My wife would come in. Don't try to scare me. 
you asshole, what the fuck is going on? We wouldn't cuss at each other that much, but, you know, that's how, like, a normal person would react, but they just see the, the water comes out, and like, huh? Turn it off. So dumb. Cool stuff doesn't even come out of the sink. If you're going to be in a horror movie, god damn it, and your fucking sink turns on, make gross shit come out of your fucking sink. Have the prop guy hook a little hose up to a bucket of fucking motor oil and dish grease and knock out the bottom of the sink underneath and have it go and shoot out goo. Big sprays of fake blood. The girl could have seen her own vomit coming out of the sink in her bathroom. How fucking awesome would that have been? Oh, shit. You ain't going to confront it? What if we put it in front of you to make you lose your mind? How fucking, how, I just came up with that off the top of my head. It's so obvious. It's so fucking obvious. And they do none of it. They finally get to the end of this. At, at some point, the handprints start touching people. There's little black handprints everywhere. For no apparent reason, I don't know why the ghosts are gross. Normally, when you have a handprint in anything, the handprint has basically three parts to it, right? What the handprint is on, what left the handprint, and what the handprint is made of. So if we have a dirty handprint, on a pretty girl, and it's a big, gross crawl, claw print, like on her boob. Okay, so there's a gross, horny ghost that is defiling a girl. Ooh, that's the, that's the visual language of that. If you have a, a smeared, bloody human handprint on a wall in a, in a hall, hallway that's been left abandoned or where you heard something weird, okay, Somebody's clearly been badly injured in here, but they were still mobile and moving around. The language of cinema. <laughs> this, this thing just leaves black fucking handprints everywhere. It's disgusting. It's a gross ghost. There's also supposed to be five of them, and they are completely indiscernible. They have no separation from each other at all. There's a crow, a buffalo, a snake. I think there's some minor differences in between them but it's like crow differences or buffalo differences and they even those are extremely minor none of which explain leaving smudgy handprints on anything i can't I, were these creatures burned to death and now they're leaving ash everywhere did they have to crawl up out of oil in 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 this this subterranean Phrygian nightmare, Stygian, Phrygian, Stygian, Stygian's a scale, Phrygian's a scale, Stygian means like the river sticks. Come up out of the, up out of the, the goo, and now they're touching stuff, or, or maybe they come up out of blood because they're, they were offered blood sacrifices because you want to just keep dumping on Native Americans and pretending like they killed people all the goddamn time for rituals. They come out of a big thing of blood, or even better, they are the curse against white people for all the bad things they did against Native Americans. It's a little bit more, the more woke versions of those that we got in the 90s. And they, they came out of the blood of a, of a massacre against the Native Americans. And now they're, they're leaving bloody handprints as the, as, just as the way that their own people were marred by the bloody handprints of the white people. That makes sense. That, that, that has some sort of like causality to it. There's, there's intention. But these things just touch shit. <laughs> and they touch shit like in this weird, 
nonsensical pattern where you can tell like the, the prop guy was just like, hey, boss, how do you want me to put these handprints on there? And, and then old, old Greg McLean just looked at him and said, just fucking put handprints on there. So the prop guy just literally knelt next to a comforter and went, and just like kept putting his hand in paint and just ta 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 all the way up with his little monster claw hands. And so it's just like this dumbass track of hands. They don't even lead from anything. They don't lead to anything. Half the time they go up the wall away from the girl. Like, and, and they always appear all at once. It's not like a good one, you know. You have a handprint that's a scorch mark on the ground. Like, what the, who the fuck burnt that? By the way, at some point the autistic kid, God bless his heart, Mikey, gets matches and somehow burns a hole in the wall. And everyone's like, Mikey, why did you burn this hole in the wall? They're very, very upset with him. He's just holding matches, by the way. The, the fire people come, and, and even for some reason, the fire department can't go, well, it's really weird that only your fucking paint caught on fire and, like, none of the substructure of your wall has been damaged. But also, you know, I know we're firefighters, but we're not going to knock this wall open to see if there's another fire going on inside the wall cavity. We're just going to assume that that's paint left over from the uh, special effects guy in the corner there. <laughs> There's no fucking handprints around this thing. There's nothing coming from this thing. It's just the kid just gets caught with his his little matches standing next to it. And it's <laughs> it's just a, it's just ridiculous. But even that, you know, if we're gonna put all of this fire and smoke imagery into it, you could you could incorporate that into the handprints and stuff. But they don't look like ashy handprints. They're just really dark. They look inky, you know, like 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 literally like paint. But you could have like a, a big handprint on the ground in the girl's bedroom, right? She comes in and, you know, it's, it's on the floor there and she sees it and it's by the door, you know, right by the entrance to the, to the door. And this is the girl. This is the, the sister that has nothing to do with the fucking plot. But in my version of this movie, all right, she comes in, she's like, fucking, like she steps on it and it feels gross. You know, have you ever, if you've ever touched burnt wood, it's all porous and, you know, the, the, the little articles sticking up of ash will break off on your hand. Particles of ash will break off on your hand and crunch. And, and you know, this is like literally singed into the wooden floor of her, of her bedroom, which is, you know, this nice bedroom. But we know, because we saw her earlier, and we didn't, we didn't put this scene 45 minutes into the film where it will have almost no impact, but rather in the first like 10 to 15 of her purging. You know, it's, it's a by the door. So it's not, you know, it's not a threat to her, but it, it's probably her goddamn brother, who she doesn't understand. He's, he's autistic, and what she's really upset is, is that she's got her own problems, but her parents have their hands full with, with their autistic child that they are not very well adept at, at dealing with. And so she feels left out. She's mad at him immediately. Ah, gets so upset. Why the fuck did you let him burn my floor, mom? And they're like, he, he would never do anything like that. And then, like, the, the sister goes and looks in the junk drawer or whatever. And it's like, the matches are gone. If the matches are gone, and he can reach in here. And you never put the child safety locks on here. You know how he likes to get around the house and explore. We can add that detail, which would explain the why. He fell in a fucking hole in the goddamn Grand Canyon and somehow came back. You, you, you don't put these child safety locks on these things. He's still eight years old. And he gets around and he gets in shit and he set my fucking floor on fire. It looks like a goddamn handprint. Blah. And so, you know, it's, it's a little bit, and, and you know, Rod and Mitchell's, don't talk to me like that. I'm still your mother. Like, we're doing our best, okay? And she's like, well, who are you doing your best for? Clearly not him. But when she says it, she's really saying, clearly not me. So, you know, you have that first 
establishment. And, and, and just that little efficient scene that takes five minutes, if you stuck that in there, then you have the kid connected to the fire, which he's never fucking connected to up until he sets the wall on fire in the last third of the movie, apparently. You have the connection to the fire. You have a reason for the handprint to be there. You have a reason for her to be mad at Rhonda Mitchell. And you have a reason for Rhonda Mitchell to start getting, getting like, you know, curious about her room. So, you know, it goes on and, and she starts feeling things like touch her at night. And, you know, instead of being like gross and just going straight for booba and lega, maybe like have it like, you know, this, this, these things like touching her stomach, right? Or, or she's got a part of her body she doesn't feel good about. Like maybe you can just show her pinching the skin on the bottom of her bicep, which is fine. And you can tell it's fine, but she has body dysmorphia. And, you know, everyone in the, the audience just wants to say like, no, you're fine. Stop killing yourself and go talk to somebody. But, you know, it, it, it grabs her there and she's turning over and you can see like a handprint on her, on her skin on the back of her arm. And you're like, oh, that's fucking gross. And then she wakes up, she smells something burning and then she wakes up, she sees something on top of her. Ah! You know, whoa, what the fuck? Whoa, freak out, slap around, turn the lights on. It's gone. It's gone. But there's a smell in the room. And when she gets out of bed, she looks down and there's a second handprint, right? And just the smallest little red embers are still burning in it. And she's, she wants to yell. You can see her like frozen on the side of her bed. And she wants to like ask for help or, or go and yell at her brother. You can just see all this, this confusion. And, she, and instead of doing anything, she decides to just shivering, go back to sleep and try to pretend like it's not happening because she doesn't know how to deal with her issues because she doesn't get to talk about them because everything's about her little brother. And then, you know, that, that's, it's a scene that makes sense to me. There's a reason for the monster to be in there. There's a good, you know, there's evidence. I like, I love it when there's a fucking horror movie that, where the, the monsters are leaving evidence of their existence throughout the film, you know? And you can even think, like, include this with the, the parents who have no connection scene to scene with their kids outside of either yelling at their kids about their behavior or yelling at each other about their kids' behavior or questioning doctors about their kids' behavior in, or, or, or how much their family has talked about their behavior. Just, like, include some other shit that can connect them. And, you know, you can have something like, the, the dad comes out and, you know, whatever, he's been drinking or something like that. And there's a handprint and he's like, mm, like I, I, I fucking went to bat saying that he didn't have those fucking matches. when there's a goddamn burn mark on my, on my suit jacket I wear to, I think he's a, he's an architect or something. Funny story about that dumbass job later, but it, it's over the pocket, the breast pocket where he keeps his flask that he sneaks out when he's, when he's at like stoplights on the way to work. It's the only time he has to himself is this one stoplight on the way to work. And every day on the way home and on the way back, he drinks the first and last half of that fucking hip flask. <sighs> just breathes it out. And he looks around, you know, and it's just like this suburban community. And he's just an anonymous guy in a brown sedan. And then the light turns green and he goes. You can incorporate that later. Make him. Make him fake hit something. He's like, ah! you know, he thinks he hits a kid or something like that. Wh whatever. But that's where that burn is. And then, then it can be fucking incorporated. They have 
a connection to both the monsters and, and these things going on in the house. And that will show you the actual problem with the family, which, by the way, we never get into. There, there is no real overarching problem with the family other than, like, our son is autistic and our daughter has an eating disorder. And we are incapable of dealing with it. But, you know, that's not, those aren't problems really. Those are like independent issues that a family deals with. And a family will deal with them well if the family is healthy. And it might not deal with them very well if the family's not, you know, and not like, you know, they solve them. Don't let me make it seem like, you know, serious mental issues like, autism or bulimia or something you can just deal with because you know you're in a good headspace but you'll still hopefully be addressing those issues in a healthy way you know the family's nice and supportive they talk that's good and that can help you kind of get past if not the initial these actual issues a lot of these side symptoms you know the lying the the suspicion the blaming problems on the autistic child because honestly it's easy to blame things on him because he can't defend himself because he doesn't know how to articulate literally anything. He barely talks. And, you know, if, if you get into that, the heart of, you know, we need to communicate. We need to trust each other better. That's what's going to make our family healthier. And that's the real monster that we brought back with us from the Grand Canyon. This is the friends we made along the way. That sort of shit. Then it becomes a much better story overall. And, uh, you know, you end this little side plot with the daughter with, there being a, a last one, maybe even Rada Mitchell's in there doing laundry and, and she's, she sets the things down and, and they're all tired, right? And we're, we're, you know, now we're 40 minutes into the movie and she's been walking around these fucking jars the whole time and she sets the laundry on top of her daughter's thing and she just doesn't even deal with it because normally she goes in there and she does her laundry. Her daughter doesn't know or her, she, her daughter knows that she does folds all of her laundry. Her mom folds all of her laundry in her room every day she has since she was a kid. That sort of thing. Put that, put that detail in there. Two seconds. Mom, are you going to come in here and fold my laundry all the time? I'm 17. I've been doing it since you were seven, so it's not going to change. Something like that. Real quick. And, you know, maybe even make mom, like, give her a look like half like, you think you're actually going to do it? And then also half like, I, I, I like doing this. Even if it's work for me. I, I like I like folding my kids' laundry and putting it away. But now she's tired. She's exhausted. Instead of doing what she normally does, we can have it a repeated scene, you know, in the movie. One or two times before, even in the other room, she dumps the laundry out and she starts getting it done. Instead of doing that, she just sets it down. She just walks into this kid. This kid's got her own fucking bedroom, own bathroom in her bedroom. The lucky bitch. But she, she goes into the, her kid's bedroom and just looks down in the sink and just sits there. And then she hears like, uh, and she's like, what the hell? And she, she, she smells something like, what the hell is that? And then when she, she goes back in there, she's like, what in the hell? And she looks at the ground and there's just those little embers burning away and another handprint. And this one is on the opposite side of that little space between the bed and the door. It's the third one. And it's right next to the leg of the bed. And she's like, oh, Jesus. And she goes and grabs a little bit of water from the thing and she confusedly splashes it on it, not knowing what to do. And it steams up and she's like, oh, God damn it. She goes in and grabs a towel and, you know, maybe finds, tries to find like a worse towel and goes in there and she leans down and she's scrubbing it, scrubbing it, scrubbing it. And then she goes, ah, because it burns her right through it. And she goes, boom. 
and kind of throws the towel underneath the bed. And then when she goes, she does it, she hears clink, 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 clink. What the fuck? The hell is that? And she pulls up the bed skirt on the side of her daughter's bed. And then it's, then it's the reveal. All of these jars, you know, all of this, 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 this secret is just there now. And it's just the same, the way it's done is just from the other angle from, you know, the, the daughter's space will be the window and the bed. And then the mother's space is the door that she always comes into, but also the bed where it's the medium spot between her and her daughter, where she does her laundry, where her daughter sleeps. And the, the camera's on the other side and it pans down as she looks in. And then when you see it, really see it with the light, the backlighting from the hallway, you can see through these jars and they're just, just this separated liquid with the hard stuff at the bottom and gross yellow floaty. Oh, it's a, just a fucking nightmare. And she's just like, she can't figure out what it is. And then right at that second, something walks through the fucking hallway. And then she doesn't know what to do. There's a hole in the fucking ground. There's, there's this fucking shit. And then there was a, there was a noise in the hallway and she's got to figure out what it is because she's home alone with her son and her son can't make that much noise. She runs down the hallway and she goes into Mikey's room and the goddamn wall's on fire. Now it makes fucking sense. And it didn't take two hours to get there. God damn it. <laughs> That's what I would have done. I am literally coming up with this off the top of my head. Even if it's not that good, I think it would fucking work better than just, what happened? He's got some matches. The dot, the dad, it's just as an aside to this. The dad has the fucking most, me and my wife are crying, the most hilarious subplot in this film. So he is, he is Kevin Bacon, right? And, you know, Kevin Bacon's a good looking guy. He was a better looking guy in the 1980s when he was like 30 something. Now, in 2016, when this film is made, he's not a bad looking guy. I'm not being ageist, but, you know, he's a man of a certain age, which is an age that's at least 20 years older than his wife. He is a professional architect of some sort. And he's got the big job. They, they do one of those. They do one of those speeches. His boss comes in and talks to him and it's, you, you, are you ready for the big job there, Peter? And I think his name is Peter. You ready for the big job there, Peter? And he goes, well, you know me, boss. I'm always ready for the big job. And the boss is like, oh, yeah, you always get it done. I don't even know why I doubted you. Anyway, here's our new employee, a arbitrarily smoking hot, dark-skinned girl <laughs> from fresh out of college who knows you from college. She is the world's only fan of, of corporate architects. And uh, she's here to work for you. And she comes in and she's, I don't know who this, this actress is. She's a complete nobody, new, whatever. And she comes in and she's just doing her best. And she's a little bubbly, poofy hair. Got her little bag and her little book and her, oh my God, professor, whatever the fuck your name is. I don't know if you know this, but I was a huge fan of you back in college. You taught like a lecture series in my, architecture 10973 course with Mr. Blah, 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 with Mr. Leahy. <laughs> and uh, I, and I, I basically am just here as an actress to give you Kevin Bacon, who is literally older than my dad, 
some fuck me eyes because of your how good you draw buildings. You're so good at the building drawing. I fought for this job so that I could maybe fuck you. <laughs> it's so it's so not subtle. It's the only thing going on, and he's back there behind the desk, like ah, uh, yes, ah, uh, ah, uh. <laughs> like, like an absolute goober. This is resolved. What what do you think? If you're if you're at home, if you're listening in your car, what do you think they try to do with this plot? Do they do they have him meet her for drinks? Right? Do they have him have him try to hit on her? And actually, like even though it was obvious to us, he he completely misread the signals and overstepped his bounds, endangering both his career and his marriage. No, half an hour later, the scene is replayed, and it is quite literally. They had Kevin Bacon and this girl walk out into their dressing rooms, put on a different set of clothes. They didn't even move the fucking cameras in this office that they rented for 15 minutes. <laughs> fucking amazing. And she comes in and she's like, oh, hey there, Mr. Whatever the fuck. I, I just want you to know I'm enjoying my job. And he's like, well, oh, yeah, I'm a little distracted. I'm, I've been running behind on time. Actually, this all happens in one shot. The big job conversation from earlier, his boss comes in and he's like, hey, you were kind of late on the big job. I, I don't know if you know this, but your, your employment with us could be in jeopardy if you don't get it done. And he's like, but I've been here for 35 years doing a good job. Why, why wouldn't you keep me on? I was, doing, I was Mr. Good Job. And he goes, well, yeah, you are Mr. Good Job. I don't know what I was thinking. And he leaves. <laughs> it goes nowhere. The girl comes in like almost immediately after. This might be two different scenes. The movie is so, it's such a fucking bowl of milk. I cannot tell the different parts of it in my mind. I can only remember the scenes I thought were the most funniest. This girl comes in and she's like, yeah, you're just pretty great. Hey, um, I'm here to, I'm supposed to be helping you on the, the super project. Well, could you, would you think maybe we could talk about it tonight? Maybe over some drinks? and. He rebuffs her so hard. It's stunning. He's, he just goes, well, I don't know if that would be professional. <laughs> like barely even thinks about it and just completely shuts her down. And, and it's, it's, he shuts her down so hard. It was like she was just literally asking to fuck him and not just, you know, asking him out for drinks, which, well, okay, fair enough and inappropriate. A, aggressive for like even, some of the most aggressive people I ever know asking your boss out for some like sex drinks. I would have tried to like maybe ease in like, Hey, maybe we could talk about it over dinner because I mean, worst comes to worst. You're like literally asking your boss if you want to get shit faced with him. Try, try over dinner. That makes more sense. But <laughs> he shuts her down so hard. It was almost rude on his part. <laughs> we were like, what the fuck, man? Who, who do you think you are? 95 year old graying Kevin Bacon. To shut this young girl down so hard, you fucking prick. We're just like fucking laughing our asses off. The movie ends after this. It just fucking ends. They hire some random Latino women, Latino women, to come in. I, I, his, that's right. Peter's boss, who is an absolute prick, gives him a number to a spiritualist. <laughs> because earlier, he's talking with his wife who is played by a woman i i very fairly sort of 
remember, but I can't remember where the hell I've seen her in. And she's like, I believe in ghosts. Do you guys not believe in ghosts? And they're like, well, our house is haunted right now, but we're going to dance around that we believe in ghosts. And then he just gives her, a, they, give, they give him a, a number to a spiritualist later who's like these two Latina or this Latina woman and like her niece or granddaughter. And then they come over and they exercise these fuckers house. And uh, they, you know, portal opens. The kid goes through the portal. They're all chanting and uh, the kids, are, the, 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 the monsters are going to eat him or something. But the, the, the boy is not afraid. Ooh, you, you're, you're too afraid. Anyone who's too afraid won't be able to do this. And he goes, oh, don't worry. I can't be afraid. And then he just goes and puts the things down. So his, his, his emotional detachment and um, his, his crippling inability to connect with people um, has, has saved the day. So that's, that's the darkness, which, you know, it, there's a lot to talk about, but I, I cannot. I cannot recommend watching it. You will not have a good time. You will not be able to drink yourself into a spot where you will enjoy this film. Possibly you have already liked this film and watched it because of reasons. And in that case, you know, don't be offended by, by me saying it's, it's very, very bad. And I would be stunned that anyone likes it. Like what you like. Uh, but that is, that, is, that is the darkness. Directed by Greg McLean. Quite literally the worst horror movie I've ever seen. Simply because there is almost no movie in the movie. It is, it is utterly devoid of spirit, sense, conviction, direction, and, and heart. <laughs> it's, the whole time, if you, if you ever do watch it, just try to gauge scene for scene how little Kevin Bacon wants to be there. As an addendum before I end this, at the very beginning, they have one of those like uh, husband and wife in bed together scenes where it's supposed to be like, hey, I want to kind of touch on your body, wife, for you know, reason. Hey, man, if you be sexually attracted to your partner, that's great. That's, that's a healthy thing. But, you know, they have no chemistry because both him and Rod and Mitchell were here for like five minutes. He just reaches over and they are under the covers right? They are under the covers together and he reaches over in the direction of her booba and the, there is a hard, almost jarring cut to where he's actually like sort of feeling her up, but it has changed so that the entire comforter is over her body and Kevin Bacon is in his boxers on top of it, kind of like just wiggling. <laughs> it's it's one of those things, it's, it's over pretty fast, but when you see it, you'll be like, what the fuck is going on here? The darkness. Let me, uh, before we talk about the last thing for the day, uh, let me remind you, if you enjoy this, please go ahead, give us a like, subscribe, do, do the stuff. You know how to do the stuff. You're not, you're not dumb. It, YouTube podcasts have been out for a million years now. Head on over to Apple Podcasts and give me a review. I, I don't think I've ever gotten a review for the Horror and Lit Club. I think I got maybe one and people told me to shut up and uh, you know, a lot of people don't like it, but if you're, if you're here and you enjoy it, if you enjoy the real podcast, the West side fairy tales portion, and you're just listening to this, just take this time when you're not doing anything important because listening to this is not important. 
go and uh, check check it out on on Apple Podcasts or on Castbox or on whatever Stitcher. Do people still use Stitcher? And uh, give us a give us a rating, give us a review, hit that five star. Just say Tyler, man, you're great, and uh, and I'll say thank you when I see it in my my emails that I get that that remind me constantly that my show is underperforming. <laughs> the other things that you can do is join the Patreon, patreon.com slash Westside Fairy Tales for more content like this delivered straight to you. I am in the process of trying to figure out how to connect it to our Discord. So very soon, the Discord is going to have special tags or whatever. I think they're called roles. So if you join our Discord and you're on our Patreon, you can connect those two to some degree and it'll basically give you privileges inside the discord which is going to let you uh, watch restricted streams restricted uh locked streams for just patreons or just patrons where i'm going to be doing uh, some live reads and stuff of the upcoming things the gap between this season and next season might be a touch longer than the other ones so in order to keep people kind of on i will be doing all of my production stuff or a lot of my production stuff live i think um so people can come in they can write and you can see kind of how i put the episodes together and you can watch me basically just embarrass myself as i try to get the the perfect take for this that and the other voice so check that out patreon.com slash westside fairy tales and of course we're on facebook we're on twitter twatter twatter at ws fairy tales westside fairy tales on facebook westside fairy tales on instagram the Discord should be linked on the Facebook, and I, I will try to remember to put a invitation to it here. So, you know, always just go try to find that. And we're on Reddit, too. I keep trying to, trying to be regular on Reddit, and I, I just can't do it. Reddit is so fucking hard to put posts on. It is ridiculous. Everything just wants, they just want to kick you off. They want to kick you off every time. Don't, don't promote yourself. Promotion is only for people. We don't like promotion or advertising, except for when it's just, uh, you know, paid shills, just, just dumping all over Reddit for whatever recent major movie came out. That's fine, because we can't figure it out. All you got to do, if you want to beat our, 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 professional, our professional anti-advertising crews that, that roll through Reddit, is just be a millionaire, and then you can just do whatever the fuck you want to Reddit. <laughs> Pen that motherfucker over. The last thing I'm going to talk about today is a uh, little game that I love called Little Nightmares. And it is awesome. Um, it is written, not written, it's developed by Tarsier Studios. I had to look that up. Tarsier, which I believe is a little animal. The, all of the names that are involved in this are very Slavic. And uh, it's, the game is just amazing. It, I saw advertisements for it. Years ago, and I think the original Little Nightmares came out in 2016, 2017. Little Nightmares 2 just came out a few weeks ago. It is a short little puzzle game. It's a physics puzzle game where you play as a uh, tiny little person, a little girl in the first one, a little boy, I think, in the second one. Um, their genders are completely inconsequential. You can't tell. Nothing changes. And they're both so young that there's no difference really in their voices. And they, are, they exist in these horrifying worlds that uh, kind of defy explanation. 
basically it's it's got a, a real strong Wallace and Gromit feel. I, I, that's that's gonna be so wrong. But it does have really a really powerful connection for me to like old claymation stuff. Uh, things I, I don't want to say the nightmare before Christmas because that might immediately make you start thinking Tim Burton style artwork. And that is very much not it. Although I, I believe Tim Burton would be, would appreciate this, uh, the content. It's a lot of, uh, of skewed crooked lines and, and uh, just amorphous pseudo human creatures. And it's all in this big, the first entire game takes place on a, on a super massive boat called the mall. And uh, I won't I won't spoil anything more than that, just because some of it, some of the reveals, even though there's almost no there, there's literally no talking, there's no exposition in this game at all. But you can still get a good deal of of information just by how powerful the the setting is, the set dressing and and the little details of of what's going on. Literally, there is no intelligible language used in the game at all save for the occasional little tutorial things that pop up, you know, like press B to turn on your flashlight, press right trigger to pick things up. The puzzles are great. There's a lot of climbing, a lot of dropping things, trying to figure out how to do this. A lot of the uh, monsters are sound and sight based, and it's basically you're trying to evade. You can't really fight back in, in Little Nightmares. In Little Nightmares 2, there is a small amount of combat, but it's so small, it's really more about uh, timing. Really, so, you know, if you could beat a timing puzzle, you can beat the combat, and it doesn't take uh, an expert Tekken player to, to, to get through the games. I would say they're extremely, extremely approachable, and uh, they're not gruesome, although they are scary. They're very, very scary, but there is no real gore that I can recall. There's um, a lot of unsettling imagery, but I would, I would 100% recommend this for, you know, almost basically all ages. Probably anybody over eight or nine could, could for sure take this. Like 13 and older, honestly, 13-year-old kids are probably like, yeah, it's quite lame. <laughs> Just because they're trying to seem, there's no blood in this. Man, I wish this had some like metal music in it. I don't know what kids are like these days. That's what I was like when I was 13. I tried to, I tried to be cool. I read Stephen King, man. You ever read a Stephen King book, dude? Like, bro, what if your high school teacher was a fucking, what if he was a fucking vampire, bro? What would you do then? What if your car tried to kill you, dude? What if? What if your car tried to kill you, dude? <laughs> actually sounds like a guy I went to high school with but uh, Little Nightmares is amazing I can't really talk too much about it that's the thing when like if you get something like the darkness which is so stunningly stunningly bad I can talk about it for forever because it, just the decisions and stuff that they make are so interesting but with Little Nightmares I want you to enjoy it first off I, don't, I would feel bad if I spoiled I even feel like I, I, I spoiled a little bit of it already, but probably you'll forget anything that I said if you, if you want to try to play it. And then by the time you remember, you, you see what I was talking about, you'll be like, oh shit, Tyler did say that. That's fucking awesome. 
Yeah, it, it's just it's just it's just great. You should play both of them. They're very cheap. They're on Steam. Um, actually, they're not very cheap. The first one is like twenty bucks, and the second one is thirty. Uh, I'd say there's about seven hours of content in each of them, but there's a lot of replayability, a little bit of replayability, because there's uh, stuff to find in the background. The first game has a whole chunk, three full levels of of DLC, I guess you would say, added onto it at the start of purchase that you can just get to, and it's an entire new storyline with a completely different character, and it's it's great. And you should definitely check it out. But that's definitely, that's definitely, it's just like a full-on recommendation. Yeah, I can't, I can't talk about it anymore. I, I burned myself talking about, burned myself out talking about the darkness. So I, I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to wrap it there. You know, an hour and a half is long enough for one of these episodes at any, any given time. So with all that said, much love. Don't forget the new episode of the podcast is coming out next week, Fridays. And, and please, please support us on Patreon if you like the regular podcast. I, I really just put these out so that you guys can, you know, know who I am kind of as a person and like get to, get to talk to me. I don't like, I don't like mysterious authors. I don't, I don't, I don't appreciate it. Maybe some people do. But uh, especially considering the kind of stuff I write about, I want you to know that I'm not, <laughs> I'm not whatever you might think of me. Uh, my, my characters are my characters. They say what they say. And uh, half, like, half the time, I, I, I have no idea where they're coming from. So hopefully, you know, you don't associate with me, <laughs> them with me too much. With all that said, I think I'm going to end it here. Thank you all very much for showing up. Like, comment, subscribe. I know I'm not on fucking YouTube, but I can't not say it because all the YouTube people say it. And then it gets in my head. It gets in my fucking head, man. So, yeah, all that all that aside, much love. Check me out next week. And until next time, as always, stay safe out there. Something's not quite right in the quiet mountain town of Targrady, West Virginia. Months after a local teen was lynched in the dead of a hot summer night, two men stand charged with murder in what the majority opinion considers to be an open and shut case. But Adelaide Stevenson, a young crime reporter from Charleston, is finding out the smallest cracks in the official narrative run far, far deeper than she could have ever expected. Join Adelaide and West by God as she navigates small town secrets, the dubious ethics of her own profession, and the dark whispers of an ancient creature, known to some as the Witcham Woman, who prowls the shadowed hollers that lie between night and nightmare. Sent on overnight assignment to cover the start of the trial, Adelaide quickly realizes the story she's been told, and been telling, doesn't make sense. Cryptic assertions of a concrete alibi are emailed to her by the family of the accused. Nobody in town seems comfortable discussing the basic facts of the case, and the murder she's been writing about wasn't the only tragic death this summer. Adelaide extends her stay against the wishes of her editor, and her investigations take a complicated and dangerous turn as she discovers the true depths of the mysteries surrounding Targrady. The only real evidence from the night of the murder may lie in the hands of a notorious local crime family led by an enigmatic woman known as the Fetid Queen. Local authorities seem to grow more hostile by the hour, and even Adelaide's own career might not survive this assignment. Featuring an eclectic cast of characters ranging from violent and horrifying to outlandish and fabulous, West by God is a must-read novel for anybody who enjoys Twin Peaks, Stephen King, 
and all the creepy places you find just off the path in the woods. It is the debut novel of Tyler Bell, a USMC infantry combat veteran, former crime and courts reporter for the Charleston Daily Mail, and creator of the award-winning West Side Fairy Tales horror and dark fiction podcast, due for release by Henlow Press in October of 2023. Learn more at westsidefairytales.com slash westbygod.